0: I invite you to take out your Bibles and open up to Ephesians. Look at the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5. Chapter 4, verse 49, verse 29 says this, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure no immoral, impure, or greedy person such person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord and live as children of light. As we have been looking at Ephesians, we've been noticing how uh, these words from the Apostle Paul helps us to see, helps us to see uh, the very important things of life differently, radically differently, than the uh, surrounding culture may have us believe. And today, we are looking at how uh, this book, Ephesians, helps us to see our relationships differently. Um, so I'm hoping that uh, this message will be helpful to you um, if you're in a married relationship, and that, that partnership, that relationship will benefit. But not just that, friendships, parent-child relationships, sibling uh, relationships. Uh, what we find in Ephesians 4 and 5 give very important instructions for us to have strong relationships. And to start off, I want to put this statement on the board with a blank in it, and I want you to think about how you would fill in this blank. So strong relationships are, oh my goodness, I got the funky font returning. If you are here like three months ago, uh, you saw the funky font sneak in these slides. This is not my doing. Somehow, as I've gone from my Mac book to that PC up there, that's what comes out. So if you can't read that... <laughs> Here's what it says. Strong relationships are built on blank. How would you fill that in? I heard at least love. Not a bad answer, trust. Um, yeah, there's lots of great things that we can put in that blank. Being at church this morning, you might think, oh, pastor's going to put love in there. Um, I'm actually not going to start off with Love today in that blank. I think love is a great answer, but I think there is something, uh, a deeper answer, even. It certainly gives birth to love. And I, it's one that I heard. Uh, strong relationships are built on trust. Why is trust so important in relationships? Because what we want, what we really want in our closest relationships is to be able to let our guard down and be our true selves, to be really known, and then to be accepted and not rejected when we reveal our hearts and our relationships. To be able to be vulnerable like that, uh, we have to have trust in a relationship. Now, as we read uh, our scriptures, I don't think the word trust was located in any of the verses But um, this part of Ephesians talks about one very important concept that is crucial for trust, and that is power. How we use power in our relationships will shape whether or not we build trust in our relationships. See, God has given us power, influence. I have a great capacity, and you have a great capacity to influence others, through your words, through your actions. The letter of Ephesians uh, is largely about power. Paul writes this letter to uh, Christians living in the third largest city in the Roman Empire during that time. There is no shortage of Roman authorities, Roman soldiers, wielding their power to ensure submission. To the ways of the empire and Caesar in charge. So Paul writes to Christians and tells them there are two ways that you can exercise power. And I don't want you to take a page out of the script of the Roman empire. I'm giving you a different way to think about power. So two ways that we can demonstrate power. Godly use of power. And an abuse of power. I am so sorry that you have to look at that funky font. Through godly use of power, I'm going to go through these next two slides. Through godly use of power, it's almost like a comedy (laughs) routine on the screen. Through godly use of power, um, I put others, uh, I put the interest of others before my own. I'll write that down. Through godly use of power, I put the interest of others before my own. And the flip side, through abuse of power, I put my own interest. Um, through the abuse of power, I put my own interest before the interest of others. So you get that. You get the two different ways of wielding power. It's whose interest am I putting first? I'm putting others' interest first. That's a godly use of power. My own interest first, that's an abuse of power that God gives to me. Um, let's go through some of the things that Paul would say are a godly use of power, starting with that first verse that we read, Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but what only what is helpful for building others up. See, I'm putting their needs before my own, helpful for building up others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So who am I focusing on if I'm living out Ephesians 4? I'm ultimately focusing on the person that I'm in a relationship with, not me. Verse 32, Paul writes, be, compa- be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. So forgiveness, in order to forgive, that means sacrifice. It means I am sacrificing something. I am giving up. Something in order to forgive. I'm giving up my my right to hold on to my anger. I'm giving up my demand for fairness. I'm giving up my need for, for justice to be done in the moment. There's a sacrifice that I'm making when I forgive, when I put the interest of someone else before my own. Uh, moving on to chapter 5, verse 2. So we're just walking through this passage. Walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Okay, walk in the way of love. Now, that may sound a bit open-ended, especially in days like these, when there are all kinds of messages that are given by society, by given through media on what it means to love. And so Paul gives a guiding thought on what it means to walk in love. He writes, walk in love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So love is when I put the interest of someone else before my own interest. And that is ultimately what Jesus did when he died on the cross for us. It was the ultimate act of sacrifice. And I would say it was the ultimate act of power. And I'll tell you why. Because Jesus had more power to lose than anyone. And nowhere do we see this as well as we see it in Philippians chapter 2. Perhaps the greatest question that no mind can fully wrap around is this question. How can God be born as a human being? That question has led to all kinds of church conflict throughout the centuries. Paul's reply to that question is this, only if the all-powerful God empties himself willingly through his own accord. And he writes that of Christ. So Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, 7 and 8, writes about Christ who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So he didn't didn't cling on to his power and, and safeguard it and cling to it. Rather, he made himself nothing. He emptied himself by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death. On a cross. And when you empty yourself so that you can put someone else's interest before your own, you are living with Jesus' power in you. That is why godly use of power is putting the interests of others before your own, before my own. And let me tell you, when we show this in our relationships, it is a doorway to trust. So let me give you my statement this morning of what trust is. Trust is the state that exists between two people who are committed to put each other's interest before their own. And trust has a powerful effect on relationships. Uh, what happens when you know, when you're confident that your wife or your husband when your parent, when your friend, what happens when you know that person is supporting you and is behind you and is acting ultimately to benefit you? Well, that when I know that is how someone is approaching me. I'm going to give you a, a metaphor this morning. That makes me want to turn towards that person, doesn't it? If I know that is how someone is responding to me or is inclined towards me. Oh, it makes me want to turn towards that person. So we're going to talk about this morning turning towards someone. This is the metaphor. Turning towards someone as opposed to turning away from them. Turning towards someone is a response that I can give when there's trust in a relationship. Turning away from someone is when there's not trust in that relationship. And I think that person may be putting his or her interest before my own. When there is mutual turning towards one another in a marriage or in a friendship, That is what makes that relationship so incredibly strong. When my kids were little uh, and we were at the pool, one of their favorite things to do, just like probably if you had kids at the pool, their favorite thing to do was to stand on the side of the pool, and you'd be in the pool, and and, and they'd, they'd, they'd want you to catch them, right? Jump in the pool and catch them. And with my kids, um, it seemed that, uh, you know, I'd be, you know, a few feet away from them and, and they'd be ready to, to jump in the pool. But then there'd be this small little hesitation where they would just check to make sure that I was actually turning towards, towards them and not distracted and looking over here, looking over here. And, and, and once they knew that I was turning towards them, that's when they would, they would jump into the water. So turning towards someone's this, this metaphor of building trust, a posture of building trust in a relationship. And that's what trusting marriages are, relationships are. Husband and wife, mutual friends consistently turn towards each other in the relationship. Even when things get rocky, keep, they keep turning towards one another. When we do that, it's an invitation to be vulnerable in the relationship. There's a there's a well-respected psychologist named John Gottman, and he's a, a marriage expert. Um, he has done uh, thousands of hours of observation of married couples, and is able just within ten, his claim to fame is within ten minutes of watching a married couple in, interact with one another, uh, he can tell if that couple is going to stay married or get divorced. Um, and, Mary, and he's well-known, you know, psychologists, therapists out there. They know John Gottman. Um, and he says that we are we are always um, we, have, we have these pool sites he doesn 't use this metaphor uh, he uses a different one, but let 's go with this pool metaphor there 's all these moments of someone standing at the side of the pool, wanting to jump in and checking to see if the the person in the pool is turning towards them, ready to to receive that that invitation to engage with one another in a relationship. John Gottman says. Marriages and relationships are just filled with those moments of one person not using the words, but asking, searching, can I be vulnerable in this moment? Is this person going to receive me or reject me? Am I going to get affirmation or am I going to get rejection, rejection from this person? And, and those moments can be very subtle. Sometimes you don't even know that you're doing it. Um, so... Just know in your relationships, uh, they're built on these moments of inviting one another to be vulnerable. Asking, can I be vulnerable in these moments? And the important thing to remember about these moments is they can come in all shapes and sizes. They can be spoken. A wife asks her husband, how do I look in this dress? That's one of those moments. Or you're watching TV together uh, name your scene a beach scene and she says oh i miss the beach that's all that, that's all that's spoken in that moment what do you do just cruise on or do you do you do you take that moment to engage with your spouse could be a gesture um could be a husband coming and sitting next to his wife on the couch it's kind of out of the blue What does she do? Could be a teenager coming home from school looking a little dejected. Could be a friend that you haven't heard from in a long while giving you a call or sending you a text, even though it doesn't seem like they bring up much. Like, hey, what's up? I'll give you another example of a moment when um, I, uh, one of these turn towards or turn away moments in my own uh, marriage. Uh, A few years ago, when I was uh, wanting to grow in um, healthy relationships and reading a lot of John Gottman's work, um, I was I was putting all this information together and just kind of compiling a list. And uh, then I did what engineers do. We, uh, I made a flowchart of it all. And uh, so um, I invited Melissa to get a cup of coffee with me. We went to our local coffee shop. And I said, hey, do you want to see my flowchart? For how to build strong marriages, it's pretty cool. And she looks at me like, "You got to be kidding me! A flowchart?" And uh, and uh, but she says, "Why, sure, I'd love to see it." So I kid you not, um, I pull this out. <laughs> and I show it to her. So, what's the middle word in the in, in the word in the very middle? Of that flow chart. Trust, building trust. So she she looks at that. There's this moment. What is she gonna do? Uh and she 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 does what John Gottman says is a way of turning towards someone, a a lighthearted, good natured joke. And she said, uh so this is what happens when an electrical engineer tries to figure out marriage. That's turning towards someone. That's turning towards me. She could have said, uh, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. You know, there's lots of things she could have said. She could have turned towards, away from me. She turned towards me in that moment. And this happens all the time in relationships. Actions that turn towards someone. Showing interest in what they're doing. Showing affection. Being appreciative. Anita is seeing our volunteers getting soaked outside and calling attention to that. Showing concern, lighthearted joking, showing forgiveness, sharing someone's joy over something that you may not really find much joy in, but your wife does, your husband does, your child does, your friend does. You're sharing their joy. Opportunities to do these things happen every day. And when you build up trust in a relationship, John Gottman says, here's what you're building up, and he gives this technical term. um, You can remember or not, just remember the concept. He says you're building up positive sentiment override. I'm going to give you a Bible verse that gives that very thing. Just a minute. Positive sentiment override. What is it? Basically, it is when your positive thoughts about each other in your relationship are so pervasive that they tend to overpower the negative feelings that you might have at any given moment. So say you're running late to work and you can't find your keys in the house. That never happens to anyone, right? Say you can't find your keys. You're getting impatient. So you holler upstairs, kind of bossy-like, uh, Honey, where are my keys? So John Gottman uh, has a term for that. That's called a harsh startup. When you say something, you do something. And if you could have a mulligan, if you could have a redo, you'd take it. It's a harsh startup. Honey, where are my keys? Now, if there is positive sentiment override operating in your marriage, your spouse might overlook that bossiness in your tone and say, hey, I'll be down there in a second, and I'll help you look. So here's what trust does in a relationship. Trust enables me to believe the best in someone and overcome offenses. And here's the Bible verse that talks about positive sentiment override. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8 says, Above all, love each other deeply because it covers up a multitude of sins. That's how we're supposed to be acting in our relationships, building up trust, Positive sentiment override, love, so that it covers up our mutual offenses to to one another. But what if there isn't trust? So the opposite of positive sentiment override, you may guess, is negative sentiment override. And, And so that ask, that demand for help, finding keys, might get a different response if there's negative sentiment override in a relationship. Like this, well, why are you asking me, who am I? The key fairy? Something like that. Negative sentiment override develops through abuse of power. When I put my own interests before the interests of others. And Paul talks about ways that we do that in the next several verses in chapter 5. Verse 3, starting in verse 3, Paul writes, but among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, which ultimately is a display of, this, this abuse of power um, or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper to god's holy people um, sexual immorality the heart is is an abuse of power it's when I use one person another person to satisfy my needs um, or my sexual desire instead of sex being this this act of mutual self giving between a husband and a wife in a marriage covenant. Uh, and then then Paul talks and you there should be no greed. Um no greed among you. If I'm greedy, what am I doing? Well, I'm being focused on my needs if I'm being greedy in a relationship. Then he moves on to verse four Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking. Because so often, those, obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, ultimately, so often, those, that's when I'm using words to get a cheap laugh at someone else's expense. (laughs) Or I'm given a put down at someone else's expense so I can build myself up. I'm using someone else for my own purposes. So no surprise here. The enemy of trust is this selfish living. If trust is when I know that you are responding to me with my best interests in mind, and that requires sacrifice of you, um, and you're displaying that selflessness, it builds trust in that relationship. So I want to close with... Um, Four practical ways to uh, grow trust in our relationships, um, and I have an acronym for you, and it's inspired by um, the, the the pointers that John Gottman gives to to married couples, but you can apply them in any relationship. Um, four ideas with an acronym. Um, Uh, showing that we care. So that first, that first letter up there is a C. (laughs) Because we're going to show one another that we care in our relationship. C. Collect emotional moments in your relationship. Just like you might collect other things, like tools, like shoes, like coins, like antiques. Uh, when you collect things that you find important. I want you to remember that looking for these emotional moments, and that's those emotional moments, that, that's a poolside moment. That's, that's when the kid is looking at you. Are you going to catch me? When I come and sit by you on the couch, are you going to ignore me? Or are you going to turn towards me? It's, it's that kind of a moment. That can be very subtle. But, and that's why we need to collect them. That's why we need to look for them. Like you would look for that, whatever it is that you collect. Actively looking for them. So collect those emotional moments. Know their value, their importance in our relationships. Because those are when we're sharing our heart um, to someone else in the, in the relationship. Those are the important moments. Next letter. A. <laughs> Ask open-ended questions. And you know what open-ended questions are. They're they're questions that make room for further talk to happen. Uh, They are not yes-no questions. So instead of asking, hey, did you have a good day, which is a yes-no question, ask, how was your day? Fine. (laughs) Okay, well, if that's the answer that you get... (laughs) Um, which can be a turning away from someone moment. Um, maybe think of different questions you can ask. What brought you joy today? What was your highest moment? What was your lowest moment in your day? You can ask someone, what can I do better to support or encourage you right now? That's an open-ended question. So ask open-ended questions. Are... Relate to people's passions. That does not mean that you have to have exactly the same dreams and passions. Um, In your marriage relationships, you may find yourself opposite end of the spectrums on your interests and passions, and that's okay. John Gottman says, common passions is not what a Lasting marriage is built on. Trust is what a lasting marriage is built on. And I show someone you can trust me when I relate to that person's passion. So if your wife just is missing her best friend in Florida, make sure that she gets on a plane (laughs) and goes and sees that friend. If your Husband loves art. Support him by going to the art museum, giving him some time to do his sketching, his artwork. That's relating to people's passions. Um, And let's get to the last one E, express um, (laughs) empathy and compassion. If you walked in late, that font is not one that I chose. Uh, so, C, collect emotional moments. A, ask open-ended questions. R, relate to people's passions. And E, express empathy and compassion. Uh, ladies in the room, um, us men in the room may be looking, may need, may needing you to lead the way and expressing empathy and compassion because in your gift of femininity that God has given you, you are able to express this beautiful quality of God that sometimes we men struggle with, and that is showing empathy and compassion because as men, we often want to fix things Instead of listen deeply in your gift of femininity, you're able to express this wonderful motherhood quality of God, of engaging in our lives, in someone's life, with empathy and compassion. So how does that look like? It means when someone shares their feelings with you, you don't, you're not critical of their feelings. We don't turn our feelings on and off. So don't be critical of someone's feelings. But you can let your husband, your wife, your child, your parent, your friend know, I know how you feel. I think I know how you feel. And um, compassion is making sure that your first response is not, let me fix that. But rather, "Let let me just listen. Let me be here for you in this moment. Now, you can build trust in your relationships. If you're here this morning and you're thinking, I've got a long way to go in whatever it is, in a broken relationship, in an estranged friendship, in a struggling marriage, you can build trust in your relationships. And how do I know this? Look at the end of our scripture, verse 8. Paul writes, For you once were... For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord, so live as children of light. See, our Father is a God of light. We never have to fear the darkness with him. Do you know why? Ultimately, it's because when Jesus was on the cross, he was the one who experienced ultimate darkness from his Father. (laughs) Jesus cried on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, God did not turn towards his son. Jesus was on the cross. His father turned away from him so that you could know. Why did he do that? So that you could know that God will never turn away from you. God turned away from his son when he was dying on the cross so that you could know God never will turn away from you. So that you will know at every moment God is shining his light into your life. And God's vision for the church and for our relationships, for our marriages, is for us to be a sign to one another of how God turns towards us. For us to be a sign to one another of the light of God, be, sign, be a sign to one another that God seeks to bless and not to curse. That God is always turning towards you and not away from you. In the Old Testament, when God was instructing uh, the priests on on how how do you represent me, God's telling the priests, here's how I want you to represent me to the people when they're at worship at the tabernacle. And God told the priests, bless the people like this. And God gave a very specific blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you. And that verse means shine the face of the Lord on you. Be light, the light, the light of the Lord coming into your life. And the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. So in your relationships, look to the God of light who is always turning towards you, and you will be able to turn towards others in your relationships. And let's pray. God, we thank you that we live in your light where there is no darkness, where you give to us peace and power, and that power that you give to us Is ultimately this self-giving, self-sacrificing power. Heavenly Father, will you give us the ability this morning to start anew in our relationships, to put the interest of others first in our relationships, to look for these emotional moments, to not miss them, to make the most of every opportunity, to be a sign of your constant... Love that blesses us every day. Give us hope for our relationships. In Jesus' name, amen.